I'm here. I'm here. I don't want to talk about it. We got to talk about the virus. I don't want to talk about the virus, but we got to talk about the virus. But there's other big news we need to talk about. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. That's totally the wrong number. Don't don't call that number. Don't call it. <laughs> That's the evening show number. Uh, I This is brain fart moment of the day. It, it, the number here is my number. For my show, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Note to my producer who also produces the evening show, I have to be on radio from 8 to 10 tonight as well. So what is this? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours of radio today for me. It'll be a fun day. That's all right. Uh, Now, I wish to discuss the Mike Flynn situation first because it's getting all sorts of buzz out there. And I just find that the takes very interesting. And and if you'll allow me to be analytical about it, uh, let me read you first how Fox News is covering it. This from Greg Ray uh, headline FBI discussed interviewing Michael Flynn, quote, to get him to lie and quote, uh, get him fired. Handwritten notes show. Explosive new internal FBI documents unsealed Wednesday show that top bureau officials discussed their motivations for interviewing then-National Security Advisor Michael Flynn in the White House in January 2017 and openly questioned if their goal was to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired. The handwritten notes written by the FBI's former head of counterintelligence, Bill Priestap, after a meeting with then-FBI Director James Comey and then-FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, Fox News is told, further suggested that agents planned in the alternative to get Flynn to admit to breaking the Logan Act, where he spoke to then-Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak, during the presidential transition period. The Logan Act is an obscure statute that has never been used in a criminal prosecution. Enacted in 1799 in an era before telephones, it was intended to prevent individuals from falsely claiming to represent the United States government abroad. What is our goal? One of the notes read, truth slash admission or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired. If we get him to admit to breaking the Logan Act, give facts to DOJ plus have them decide, another note read, constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley called the document's implications chilly. Sorry, important person texting. The document indicates that the agents at least discussed the merits of a by-the-book approach. If we're seen as playing games, White House will be furious. The bombshell materials strongly suggested the agents were truly concerned about Flynn's intercepted contacts with Kislyak during the presidential transition period, except as a pretext. Former President Obama personally had warned the Trump administration against hiring Flynn and made clear he was not a fan. Obama fired Flynn as head of the Defense Intelligence Agency in 2014. The Justice Department turned over the documents this week, even though a February 2018 standing order in the case from United States District Court for the District of Columbia, Emmett Sullivan, required the government to turn over any exculpatory materials in its possession that pertained to Flynn. Now, Fox News is told even more exculpatory documents are forthcoming as Attorney General Bill Barr continues to oversee the DOJ's investigation. That's the Fox News take on this. 
Now, let me read you the Politico take. It, it's as if it's from another world. Uh, Natasha Bertrand is on this, and Natasha Bertrand has become notorious on the Internet for, for her uh, seething contempt of the Trump administration. So you can imagine that the talent. Yeah, I, I read you as much of the Fox News article as you needed to know, so I'm going to do the same with the Politico article so you get a sense of how this is being handled in the media. Newly released documents about the origins of the criminal case against former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn show that the FBI officials feared that the new Trump White House might view the Bureau as playing games if it sought to interview him without disclosing exactly what it was up to. The four pages of records provided to Flynn's defense attorneys last week and unsealed on Wednesday by a federal judge reflect internal brainstorming at the FBI in January 2017 about how to approach the politically explosive investigation into Flynn's contact with the Russian ambassador weeks earlier during the presidential transition. Flynn's lawyers and supporters said the notes and emails were a smoking gun, evidence that he was railroaded by FBI officials intended on bringing him down. But defenders of the FBI's handling of the investigation said the record showed thorough and thoughtful deliberations about how to handle an exquisitely sensitive inquiry into the president's top national security aide just days into a new administration. One page of handwritten notes dated the same day Flynn was interviewed, January 24, 2017, appears to show a debate about how forthcoming to be with him or others at the White House about the nature of the FBI investigation. If we're seen as playing games, the White House will be furious, the note said. Protect our institution by not playing games. The notes also reflect deliberations about whether confronting Flynn with a lie in real time would be helpful to the investigation. What is our goal? Truth? Admission? Or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired, the note read. The public court filings that led to U.S. District Court Judge Emmett Sullivan's order on Wednesday unsealing the records did not indicate who authored the handwritten notes. However, they appear to bear the initials of E.W. Bill Priestap, the head of the FBI's counterintelligence division at the time, and relate to a meeting with the Bureau's then-deputy director, Andrew McCabe, now a CNN contributor. McCabe was the one who ultimately called Flynn that day to ask him to meet with two FBI agents, Peter Strzok and Joe Pinka. One issue the FBI officials considered was whether to show Flynn that they already knew details of the conversations with Sergei Kislyak, the Russian ambassador to the U.S. at the time. The knowledge came from court-ordered intercepts of the ambassador's communications, but those details are redacted from the record that was released on Wednesday. Now, I mean, two stories on the same topic, and yet... They take completely different approaches and views of it. What's going on here? Well, there are partisans on the right and partisans on the left, and and they're in the news. The partisans on the left work at Politico. The partisans on the right work at at Fox News. What's actually happening here? So here's my understanding of what actually went on. The FBI wanted to either get Flynn to acknowledge that he was trying to undermine Obama administration policies prior to the opening of of the Trump administration's days by reaching out to Kislyak during the transition and and completely scuttling Obama administration stuff in the run-up to the Trump administration coming on? Or did they want to allow him to lie and deny it when they had the transcripts? Of course, he's a smart guy. He would have known. 
and therefore uh, entrap him so that they could prosecute him. Essentially, did they want him to admit he was trying to undermine the Obama administration? Or did they want to allow him to lie and prosecute him? It's not that they were setting him up. It's how they wanted to steer the how they wanted to steer the investigation. Did they want to reveal all of what they had to him up front? Or reveal so much, and this is key here, pay attention to this part. Did they want to reveal so much that he would presume they revealed everything, but they still held back a smoking gun and tried to ensnare him in a lie so they could prosecute him? Now, the partisans at Politico say this is perfectly acceptable. This is all part of the investigation. This was not the FBI behaving badly. Uh, the, the partisans at Fox News and on the right with, with the Trump administration would say, this is terrible. You need to pardon Flynn. A lot of us are saying, why, why did Flynn plead guilty? But ultimately, there's this. Uh, I am sympathetic to the reading that these were just FBI agents doing their job, zealously trying to advocate uh, a prosecution of someone they didn't like. But that's kind of the problem, is it not? They went into this not liking Mike Flynn. They went into this not liking Donald Trump. They went into this believing that Donald Trump was collaborating with the Russians. I mean, uh, what, what the political leaves out of their story is, is that Priestap had these conversations with Andrew McCabe and James Comey, both of whom were already under the belief that Donald Trump was some sort of collaborator with the Russians, which we now know from the Mueller investigation that wasn't true. So they went in already convinced of the guilt of Mike Flynn. And they then wanted to build a case that made it airtight. Oddly enough, wanting to use the Logan Act to go after Mike Flynn. The Logan Act is an act that gets trotted out every campaign season uh, as someone purporting to work on behalf of the U.S. government. The Logan Act has never been enforced, and it is arguably unconstitutional. And it's also premised on the idea that one might actually be able to convey to someone else that they're on behalf of the president. The Logan Act came about in the uh, late 1700s as there were people trying to cut deals with the French. After we, it looked like we were going to be at war with Britain again. People were going, trying to cut deals and claiming to work on behalf of George Washington. And they weren't. And there was no telegram service. It took weeks to get a ship across the Atlantic to say otherwise. And so they passed the Logan Act, making that prohibited. Well, nowadays you've got, you can pick up a phone. You can get real world access and you also have television broadcasts. You can say, huh, this person doesn't actually work in the White House. Uh, then probably they aren't working on behalf of the president of the United States. But hey, they are working on behalf of a presidential transition team of a new administration with new ideas. Perhaps we should be able to talk to them. The, the idea that the FBI wanted to premise this on the Logan Act to begin with is stupid. I mean, it's stupid on stilts. They should be fired just for taking the Logan Act seriously. But there's the other thing here as well is I understand the zealous nature of these investigators, but they're investigators. They're not prosecutors. I don't believe the grand elaborate machinations of some of what the Trump supporters say. But you don't have to believe that to recognize that the the U.S. Uh, judges who were in charge of the of the wiretaps the, the and the national security surveillance of the FISA court that's what I'm looking for the FISA court the FISA court has already said that the FBI had been lying to them to get some of these wiretaps and left out key evidence. 
You don't have to be a Trump partisan to recognize that these guys are investigators. Their job is to try to get to the truth. Their job is not to try to entrap people. And you can say, well, that's what the FBI does. Well, the FBI is not there to serve as a tool of the U.S. attorney to get prosecution. The FBI is Federal Bureau of Investigation, not FBP, the Federal Bureau of Prosecution. They're there to investigate. So why would they hold information on the table to try to get someone to lie so that that person can be prosecuted? Because that's what the notes say, that that was their contemplation. That should never have been a contemplation of the FBI. They said don't play a game, protect the institution, but that's playing a game. That's playing a game with someone's life. Take the Trump administration out of this situation. You know, I I have refused to go down the rabbit holes of a lot of the conspiracy theorists of the hardcore Trump supporters because so much of it doesn't make sense. Yes, uh, the the truth is Christopher Steele worked with the Democrats and Hillary Clinton to build a dossier on Donald Trump. He was a foreign operative. He relied on spies, and a lot of the stuff is made up. I I do not think it was a collaboration with the Obama administration to build the dossier or anything like that. There's no evidence of that. There's never been evidence of that. There's certainly evidence that people who knew it was in the dossier then leaked to the Obama administration. They became concerned and took it to the FBI, and the FBI began building cases. And, hey, look, Mike Flynn got caught up in it. There are reasonable ways to approach this beyond the cuckoo for Cocoa Cuff conspiracy theories, and too many people on the right are going down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole right now. But even if you take the political reporting and not the Fox News reporting, the reporting most sympathetic to the FBI still makes the FBI look bad. An investigator should not be withholding evidence when trying to get to the truth to try to entrap a guy into lying so that they can prosecute him. And that's what the FBI did. And we now know there is a pattern within this FBI run by James Comey, not by Mueller, but by James Comey and by Andrew McCabe to allow the investigators to dabble in not telling the truth so that they could get big prosecutions to essentially justify the perp walk and earn their keep. And that's not how the FBI should be working. That's the problem here. You can take a reasonable approach and say, listen, Mike Flynn did something he should not have done. And he made promises to the Russians that had not been authorized by President-elect Donald Trump. And that could put Donald Trump in a uh, sticky position. And we now know he lied to the vice president about those conversations. That is, at heart, what happened here. The FBI claims Sally Yates, remember her, the former uh, acting attorney general who quit and is now a, a Democratic um, just just celebrity? went to the vice president, this is what caused Mike Flynn to get fired, that he lied to the vice president about his contacts with the Russians. We know he did lie to the vice president about his contacts with the Russians. That's not in dispute by anybody, including the vice president and the president. But is that worth sending him to jail when ultimately we know the FBI was out to try to get him prosecuted by withholding their own information? I mean, that's the thing, is, is Flynn withheld information from the vice president and denied something he should have admitted. The FBI's just done the exact same thing with Mike Flynn. It's me. It's me. Welcome back. The phone number here, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So the World Health Organization is out praising Sweden you got a bunch of the president's supporters now just they don't know what to do y'all, y'all okay i i'm 
you know, a, a couple of years ago, I mean, hell, last year, um, multiple news outlets would, would name me as some sort of prominent member of the conservative movement, and I've just been kind of horrified with the conservative movement. And so many people just turned into grifters. And I know so many people, and this is, this is the most profound thing. I know so many people who I sat in rooms with who can't stand the president and to this day privately seethe with contempt for the man. And yet they go on TV and act like they want to hump his leg. I know these people. No, I'm not going to name and shame them. I'm not going to get into a pee-in contest with them. But it, it really is just perplexing to me. Why can't you just tell people what you think and, and let the chips fall where they may? I mean, I tell people that I'm going to vote for the guy. I, man, th- there are days of late where I wake up and like, can I really do this? I told him I would, though. And I'm sure I will. I mean, look at, gosh, look at the Democrats. And I don't think Amish is going to be viable. So I'll vote for the president. I, but I recognize at least that most of what I'm getting from him comes in spite of him, not 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 uh, because of him, if I'm honest about it. And you should be too. But man, I look at some of the people out there who they don't like the guy, but in public they want to hump his leg. And it, it is just, it, it's offensive to me as someone who, who I, I at least try to tell you what I think as opposed to telling you what I think you want me to think. And you can disagree with me. You can call in. I keep an open phone line here. But watching the people who have been savaging the World Health Organization for weeks, as they should, the World Health Organization is a garbage organization that we should no longer be a part of, given what they did to China, given that they put in charge of the World Health Organization a guy who helped murderous regimes in Africa. And now suddenly the World Health Organization is coming out and saying Sweden is a model of success. What? Because they've been praising Sweden, and now they find themselves in bed with the World Health Organization. And ironically, and this is where I'm going with this, the president has come out this morning and said, doubled down and said shelter in place was the right thing to do, and Sweden got it wrong. And you know what? The president's right on this. And the World Health Organization is right on this. And the people who are praising Sweden have completely misconstrued what Sweden did. And Sweden, by the way, didn't work out. Do you know Sweden has more deaths and more infections than the rest of the Scandinavian countries combined now? Sweden only has 12,000 infections, which it looks okay, except when you look per capita, it's a lot. And they've got, of those 12,000 infections, more than 2,000 people have died, most of them in senior centers, and there seem to be a lot of people willing to kill grandma these days. Sweden didn't get it right. The infection has been spreading, but here's the thing that people are missing. Sweden did begin to do more and more shutting down. They limited groups to 200, then they limited groups to 50, then they limited sporting events, then they limited people in restaurants, and they limited people in bars, and they limited people in social contact, and they required social distancing, and they finally had to shut down nursing homes. And, you know, it, it, it is a situation where the virus is spread in Stockholm. I have been to Sweden. My people are Swedish. I have been, been uh, to multiple places in Sweden, and Sweden is pretty spread out. And this is a virus of urban areas, and there are only a couple of urban areas in Sweden for the virus to be able to spread. And it is spreading through those areas. 
the re reason Sweden looks okay is because of what's happening to the rest of the country where the virus hasn't gotten to because none of those people are allowing people from Stockholm to show up. The president is actually right. And it's really funny to watch these people who've long hated him and pretend to like him now being mad at him again. I I am I'm I'm just um I, <laughs> new topic you know I I say all the time I I start the show I sit down in the morning uh, as the sun is coming up and outline what I want to talk about and inevitably I get here and and the the whole show what was I going to talk about first this morning I was going to talk about Remdesivir and Ebola uh and 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 the fish tank cleaner we'll get to all of those we will uh, but. There's this headline uh, that is just, it, it's its bizarre to me um, that this is from the political, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted, uh, that uh, during this plague year, there is almost never good news, only degrees of bad news. Even so, the pandemic has been different for girls and women. And then they write this, it's true that more men are dying than women from COVID-19 around the world, but that's not exactly cause for celebration. That's not exactly called more men than no women are dying, but that's not cause for celebration. <laughs> you think you think my goodness gracious. Um, and I, you know, I am supposed to talk to Natasha Tynes this morning, uh, who I believe is, is going to be calling in here for a minute. And I've been looking forward to talking to her and I'm hoping, uh, she can still call in. She, she's got a book coming out and you will remember her. And I, I'll wait for the setup when she gets here. I, I I hope we can get her on the phone here and talk about this. But right now, I, I want to spend a few moments going over the data in Georgia. As the governor looks like, uh, I, I'm hearing a rumor. I do not know if it is true or not. But I am hearing a rumor that the governor is going to allow shelter in place to expire, except it's going to be modified. It's not going to be fully open. It essentially, um, go do what you need to do and go home. Uh, don't hang out. Uh, which will raise the question of bowling alleys and theaters and stuff. Uh, but from what I'm hearing, we're going to take a very similar approach to what Florida and Alabama are doing, which is we're going to reopen the state, let people go out and about, but, uh, you're going to be encouraged to wear masks and to not loiter, and to still keep social distancing wherever you go and stuff like that. So it's not going to be fully reopened. Uh, and we'll find out, I guess, later today. The governor intends to announce it later today. Uh, now, let me give you the data here in Georgia. Uh, 143,790 uh, tests have been conducted now. There are 25,897 confirmed cases, uh, a total of 5,091 hospital admissions, and a total of 1,101 deaths. Now, where does that actually stand uh, in totals? Well, our high uh, in the last couple of weeks, in the last 10 days, was April 20th. It was 841, uh, 695 on April 21st, 685 on April 22nd, 540 on April 23rd, 553 on April 24th, 240 on April 25th, 161 on April 26th, 258 on April 27th, 110 on April 28th, and 95 yesterday, and 6 today. Now, this is important because if you'll recall, yesterday in the morning when we started the show, there were 6. There were actually a total of 95 that day. 
And then the day before, the 28th, uh, yesterday, there were 35, and it's gone up to 110. Now, why? Uh, Because it can take 24 to 48 hours to get those test results in. So the trend lines are still good. We are still in decline in the state of Georgia. And it looks more and more like the death rate is also on decline in the state of Georgia. All of this is really good news. And on top of that now, uh, it looks like you're going to start hearing the word remdesivir. Remdesivir. It is a drug by Gilead Science. Remdesivir was a drug that they developed to fight uh, coronaviruses, specifically SARS, MERS, and Ebola. Most specifically for Ebola. And one of the things, now I, I am not a doctor and I am not an epidemiologist. As you all know, I try to talk to them. I try to get educated from them. Uh, and and I'm, I'm happy to go into what a number of them have told me about that video from the doctors in California that YouTube took down. I do want to talk about that today. But what I am hearing from multiple people, and I have not specifically asked the question, but I've been reading a lot on this that one of the things Gilead Science did as a thoughtful approach to remdesivir is to treat these coronaviruses as blood disorders, not as pulmonary disorders. In other words, the the common symptoms of of COVID-19 are what? That um, they they cause uh, essentially pneumonia, they fill your lungs up, they cause pulmonary distress that then cascades into heart distress. The number one cause of a, of a COVID-19 death is a heart attack. Uh, but in the last week or two, you've heard these stories come out that doctors globally have found clots and microclots, lots of people having strokes who have gotten COVID-19. Well, Ebola is a coronavirus, and Ebola is a coronavirus that is a blood disorder. And the more we've learned about SARS, it's a pulmonary issue, but also a a blood disorder. And so remdesivir has targeted that aspect of it and looks like it's working. Uh, The National Institutes of Health has uh, more coming out of that. I want to talk a little bit more about that uh, as we can, but uh, my friend Sonny Bunch, uh, who's at Rebeller Media, reached out to me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, last week, I guess he did. Uh, and he asked if I was interested in uh, talking to an author who has a book coming out. They called me Wyatt. And you may remember the story that um, Natasha Tynes tweeted out just very innocently a picture on Twitter of someone saying that, um, you know, you get in trouble if you're on the D.C. Metro and, and they see you eating. And well, there was a uniformed employee eating. She tweeted it out and, and just the Twitter rage mob came for her and her book got canceled. And, and Sonny Bunch's uh, company that he's affiliated with Rebeller media, a, they decided to publish the book. They called me Wyatt. And I'm actually really interested to talk about this book and the related story uh, because of how I grew up, uh, is different from how, uh, Natasha grew up, but I grew up in the middle East, uh, as well. And, and so some of this I, I can relate to. And so Natasha is joining me. Thank you very much for taking time out of your morning to do this. Uh, thank you for having me. So uh, first of all, but before we get into the book and everything, if you wouldn't mind, just, just give folks your, your background. I know, uh, your, your family is from Jordan. Were you born there or were you born in the United States? Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Jordan. You know, I went to high school there. You know, all my family is still there. 
um, uh, my sisters, my friends. I moved to the U.S. in my late 30s. Uh, so it's been almost 15 years since I've been living in the U.S. And, I'm, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen now. But, yeah, I mean, it, my background is, you know, I, I grew up speaking Arabic. And, um, yes, so that's, that's about me. <laughs> so yeah, I, I grew up in Dubai. Uh, oh. moved there when I was five, moved back to the States when I was 15. We used to have uh, EMAC, the Eastern Mediterranean Athletic Conference, which was like our high school athletic association. We would have kids from the American Community School in, in Amman stay with us when uh, kids from there would come to Dubai to participate in basketball tournaments and stuff. Uh, I have been to Amman once uh, and, and absolutely love love the country and, and love growing up over there. And and so I, I guess that there's that relevant tie there. And then I, I know when this when the tweet situation happened, you had mentioned that you didn't grow up in this country and, and you didn't understand that dynamic. And yet the rage mob came anyway. And I I felt so much sympathy for you at the time and remember writing about this, that that I've been blasted in this country before for things I've said that I really they went over my head because I didn't grow up here with these dynamics. And I, I've been living in the South. I've had to come to terms with that over time that there are some things I just don't get. And I was just, I was fascinated by that aspect of it um, with you. And, and just, I, I felt so bad for you at the time that the mob came. Yeah. I mean, what happened that day is I, I was on the DC Metro going to work and I saw that, um, you know, a Metro employee in uniform. And, you know, I, if you live in DC, there's a culture of criticizing the DC Metro. Yeah. It, it has lots of issues, you know, the, the red, red line, line is always packed. Yeah, the red line. I'm on the red line. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I tweeted, I've been tweeting about the DC Metro, like, you know, many other people in DC for years, you know. And uh, I, I never thought twice about it. Like, hey, Metro, one of your employees is uh, eating um, on the train, you know. The idea for me was like the hypocrisy of the DC Metro. And in retrospect, I should not have taken a picture of the, the employee. I, I, you know, I, that was um, an, an error in judgment. You know, I should, have, I should have done this in a more private manner. But, you know, it was like I was rushing and, you know, so I just took a picture and posted the tweet. And the reaction that I got... I mean, I understand the reaction that, you know, I should not have done this in public, but the reaction that I was racist just really blew my mind. I was like, what are they talking about? Uh, and, you know, I, we, I live in the D.C. area. It's very multicultural. There are people from every race and ethnicity. You know, my kids' school, for example, um, whites are minority. So... Like I never thought of the woman's um, uh, uh, the the color of her skin when I did that, I, and 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 how it was twisted, it just shocked me. And I and after that, after you know months of me thinking about what happened, I realized that there was a conversation happening about these kinds of race issues in the U.S., especially when it comes to uh, to using social media that I was not privy to, and I, I fell a victim to that uh, complex race relationship in the U.S., and I don't really belong to any parties. Like, I'm not, uh, you know, I, the, the U.S. does not see me as white, and I'm not white, and I'm not African-American. So 
the idea that I just fell in the midst of this conversation and I was attacked and was call, called all sorts of names. And ironically, um, people directed racial slurs at me, you know, calling me terrorist, calling me like a desert dweller, Hamas, Hezbollah, Bin Laden, you know, whatever they called me. And it, it was just, I was, I was just, shocked to the degree that I even got death threats. They made fun of my kids. They made fun of my husband. They called me fat. They called me, you know, the B word. You know, I'm not going to say these things on my radio. But but it it just was shocking to me. And in retrospect, I realized maybe if I grew up in this country, I would have been more understanding of of how this would have been perceived, but I, I really had no clue because I just saw her as as an employee and not as a black employee like everyone thought that I saw her. It just it, it, the whole thing was unfortunate that this cancel culture is, is out of control. But it, it, that that's that's not the only reason. Uh, I I wanted to talk to you about all this because you, I I do want to talk about your book, which I'm fascinated by. And, and let me give you a little bit of uh, uh, the audience a little bit of background. So this is Natasha Tynes I'm talking to, and she's an expert on the Middle East. She's appeared on on national international TV programs. She's been on on PBS. She's been on Larry King Live. Uh, she's been on CBS, uh, BBC. Uh, she's been in the Washington Post. She's been in the Jordan Times. And now you you've written a book that is is nothing like that uh, about Middle Eastern expertise per se. They called me Wyatt, and I, I is is every journalist really an inspired uh, writer behind the scenes and, and wants to write a book as you've done? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think so. I, I you know when I got into journalism because I I love writing since I was really young. I you know I started writing in Arabic in you know in, in, in elementary school in Jordan, and I've I've always known that I had a, a talent for writing. I always used to win like writing awards, and for me thinking about my career. Uh, I started writing in newspapers when when I was 18. And then um, I actually went to college and I did science, not even uh, uh, journalism. But then I started writing in newspapers and, and then I got a full scholarship from the British government. And they sent me to live in London for a year and a half where I got my master's in international journalism. But, you know, what drew me to being a journalist was my love for writing. And um, while my book is is fiction, it, um, you know, deals with issues, uh, with supernatural issues like the incarnation. Um, But really, the book is really about growing up in the Middle East. And it talks about current issues, which is um, being an immigrant in the U.S., and dealing with with those issues and ironically it also talks about race and race issues um, you know with a special focus on uh being an arab woman in the u.s and if, if you read my book you realize i was actually harsh on both culture i was i was critical of the arab culture and i was also critical of the american culture and I think this is when you live in both cultures, you're kind of in limbo. Uh, um, you, you don't know where you belong, uh, one foot in place, the other foot in the other place. And, and that was really what I tried to uh, explain or explore in my novel.
Well, and, and it, it, we've only got about a minute left, but, but I love the concept of being able to explain those things through the idea of, if I understand it right, because I, I, I've got a copy of it, but have not yet plowed through it. I've, I've read the synopsis, though. It's about a, a Jordanian student who's murdered, whose consciousness survives and, and takes up home and someone else to try to solve. The, and I want to leave the little plot twist there as, as to who the consciousness takes up in, but but to try to solve the murder and, and, and seeing life. I'm just, I'm fascinated by that concept. Yeah, I mean, you would be surprised that the concept came to me in a dream. <laughs> I always have vivid, <laughs> I always have vivid dreams, maybe because I grew up in the Middle East, but it, it's the idea, it, it came to me in a dream and it was so vivid and it felt so real that I was so compelled to write it down. And I wrote it down as a short story and five years later now it is a novel. So yeah, this is how it came to life. Well, Natasha, I'm out of time, but thank you so much for stopping by. I'm actually, I have a copy of it myself. I'm excited to read it. Uh, I bought my copy. It wasn't a, it wasn't a review copy. I went out and bought it. Uh, I didn't realize um, that I could. And, and so when Sonny emailed me, I got it. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to reading it. I'm very excited by uh, just the whole concept of, of the novel. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, that's Natasha Tides. Her book, They Called Me Wyatt. I, there is a plot twist. I know what the plot twist is. Um, essentially, a student is murdered, and their consciousness survives. They want to solve their own murder, and their consciousness takes up residence uh, in the body of someone else. As to who it is, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. You should read the book. I'm actually really excited to read this. Uh, I, I rarely read novels, uh, but I was intrigued by this. So they called me Wyatt by Natasha Tynes, who famously nearly got her book unpublished. In fact, it had to go to a different publisher because the first publisher refused to continue publishing it after the rage mob came for her. Well, uh, I'm going to tease you here for the for the top of the hour that the Stacey Abrams campaign to become vice president is uh, starting to uh, get open criticism from members of the Democratic Party. It's it's not going the way that I'm presuming she's... Well, listen, she's she's a smart person. She had to know that uh, there was going to start being pushback. I, I don't know that she knew that it was going to be as, as vocal as it is or from the direction it's coming. Uh, I want to talk about that when we come back. Right now, though, I do want to tell you that there is some hope out there on the horizon. It caused markets to rally yesterday. Remdesivir, the, the drug I was talking about earlier... It is showing hope in, and you know, this is very much like what we're seeing with uh, hydroxychloroquine, where the reviews are still very, very mixed, if not trending towards it's not that good of a drug uh, for use on this. But where it does seem to show some promises is towards the beginning of symptoms. If you can get it towards the beginning of symptoms, it alleviates the symptoms quickly. Remdesivir is very much in the same boat where it looks like uh, when people are really are bad off, it may not work, but if the symptoms are still mild, it may. And there's also work being done on a vaccine. I got to tell you, though, it, it, this will not surprise you, but uh, this is the New York Times. This is actually from the Orlando Sentinel, but it's a New York Times story. Let me read you the headline. Trump seeks push to speed vaccine despite safety concerns. President Donald Trump is pressing his health officials to pursue a crash development program for a coronavirus vaccine that could be widely distributed by the beginning of next year, despite widespread skepticism that such an effort could succeed and considerable concern about the implications for safety. 
The White House made no public announcement of the new effort called Operation Warp Speed, and some officials are apparently trying to talk the president down, telling him it would be more harmful to set an unreasonably short deadline than might result in a faulty vaccine than wait for safer, more effective. Wait a second. Now, this is not just the president of the United States. These are senior advisors. These are people in the medical community. These are researchers around the world. They're all rushing to get a vaccine. But there's a Trump angle. There's an angle by which the New York Times can make the president look bad. And so they must pursue it and rush it. I'm actually kind of fascinated by that. I I mean, really, I am. uh, Because the story has been out there uh, for weeks that they were trying to rush a vaccine. They were trying to come up with a vaccine. They were trying to cut as much red tape as they could. They were trying to find as many guinea pigs as they could. Hell, there was a, a story the other day for the, that Oxford University researchers were worried that shelter in place was being too effective and they need people to get sick so they can test the virus because they want to rush it. And yet suddenly it's blame Trump. I would treat these stories more credibly if they didn't come every day and contradict so many other stories out there of others who are trying to rush to find a vaccine. Seriously, honestly, this is ridiculous. Uh, And this is where we are with these sorts of stories. It's always about blame the president, blame the president, never about what's actually going on. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is... 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I very much appreciate you being with me this morning, and I do need to talk about the, I need to talk about the virus, but I don't want to talk about, I, y'all, I'm, I'm tired of talking about the virus. I'm trying to move on, and it just keeps bringing us back, doesn't it? Uh, There is news, and I do need to get to the news, and I may put it off until tomorrow, and I may interview the governor this afternoon, in which case I'll bring you that tomorrow. The governor uh, is looking at reopening the state. Today is the last day of shelter in place, and I am hearing rumors. They are unconfirmed rumors that we may be allowed out of our houses, but uh, there will be modifications. It won't be just getting rid of the order. There will be some requirements on leaving your house uh, and how to go about your daily lives. And and here's the problem. Uh, Let me, so I was, I was at a, I don't want to name and shame and and I'm local, so I got to be careful here, but it's, 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 Relative. So I, I went to, my wife has a, a favorite Japanese restaurant last night. A favorite restaurant last night. I, I went to my wife's favorite Japanese restaurant last night and got her hibachi chicken for pickup. And when you walk into this restaurant, they have chairs uh, placed around uh, far apart from each other in case your order's not ready. And then they have tape every six feet where people can stand. And, and if there's a line to keep everyone socially distanced. And so I did that, and I thought, you know, I, I hadn't had Chinese in a while. I really so there's a great Chinese restaurant in Atlanta called Lee's Golden Buddha. They have fantastic Chinese food. Uh, they're on Roswell Road in Atlanta. If you ever get there, they're my favorite Chinese restaurant. Well, in Macon, we got a Chinese restaurant that's really good. They, it used to be an old steak and ale restaurant. And I called, and I could tell the poor woman was frazzled. I decided I'd get me Chinese food. Uh, she was frazzled. You could tell she was answering multiple phones and largely working by herself. Well, I went and picked up my wife's food and then drove up the street to the Chinese restaurant. And they have this little uh, ante room. It's their entrance way. And everyone, there were people piled in there. Many not wearing masks. You know, I didn't have my mask on. 
I keep it in my car and I just thought I'm, I'm the only one here. Well, while I was there, the poor woman was so frazzled and other people were just coming in and, and, and talking and hanging out and waiting for their food. And this poor woman screwing around. I'm like, we're, we're all piled in here together. And I left and there were only a couple of people in there. And, and a lot of people were seeing the line and they were going and they were standing outside, which was smart. They were taking it on their own initiative, standing outside. But as I was leaving, there were other people coming in who clearly did not care and did not think it was a big deal. And when I left, there were these people piled in there. And, and I could tell the woman was having to shoo people out so that they didn't get in trouble. She was doing the best she could, but she was the only person. I felt terrible for her. I felt like I needed to go back in there and help her uh, answer phones and take orders. And I thought, this is why the virus is going to spread again. People are stupid. People don't think it's a big deal. I know so many people who think it's not a big deal, who say only old people get it. And, you know, there was a story in People Magazine yesterday that a 29-year-old woman in Los Angeles who runs social media for People Magazine died of coronavirus. 29 years old. We're, we're, I, you know, I'm, I'm, we're going to continue in our household to largely shelter in place because people are stupid. Uh, no disrespect to the governor. I, I listen, I totally get it. Uh, you know, there's this story in, in the Atlantic about, uh, let me, I was going to save this for the next hour, but let me go on and get to this as I'm rambling on about stuff. George's experiment in human sacrifice. That's the actual headline in the Atlantic. George's experiment in human sacrifice. And the subtitle is the state is about to find out how many people need to lose their lives to shore up the economy. Now, let me read you the beginning of the story. At first, Derek Canavaggio, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right or not. Derek Canavaggio thought he would be able to ride out the coronavirus pandemic at home until things were safe. As a bar manager at the Globe in Athens, Georgia, Canavaggio hasn't been allowed to work for weeks. Local officials in Athens issued Georgia's first local shelter-in-place order on March 19th, canceling the events that usually make spring a busy time for Athens bars and effectively eliminating the city's rowdy downtown party district built around the University of Georgia. The state's governor, Brian Kemp, followed in early April with a statewide shutdown, but then the governor sent Canavaggio into what he calls spreadsheet hell. In an announcement last week, Kemp abruptly reversed course on the shutdown, ending many of his own restrictions on businesses and overruling those put in place by mayors throughout the state. On Friday, Jim's churches, Nair and Hale Sal- Hair and Salons, Nair, the, the, Hair and Nail Salons, y'all, I'm half Cajun, half Swedish. Some days I can't talk. And tattoo parlors were allowed to reopen if the owners were willing. Yesterday, restaurants and movie theaters came back. The U-turn has left Georgians scrambling. Canavaggio has spent days crunching the numbers to figure out whether reopening his bar is worth the safety risk or even feasible in the first place, given how persistent safety concerns could crater demand for a leisurely indoor happy hour. We can't figure out a way to make the numbers work to sustain business and pay rent and pay everybody to go back to work and risk our lives, he told me. If I tried to open on Monday, we'd be closed in two weeks, probably for good and with more debt on our hands. How is that Brian Kemp's problem? First of all, you know, bars and nightclubs aren't even allowed to reopen. So why are you focusing on a bar? Now, this is apparently a pub, but uh, does it get the majority of its business from food? Because if it doesn't, it's not supposed to reopen. And then it doesn't have to. Why? This is is a story written with an editorial bias to begin with. 
I mean, I know people who were upset with the governor for going ahead and doing this, who read the article like this isn't even fair to the governor. This isn't even fair to what's happening. It's not. It is an editorial bias premised on, you know, those redneck southern states are going to get everybody killed. You know, BuzzFeed has a story out about the alliances, the, the northern alliance, the western alliance, the midwest alliance of states that are trying to, to get back to business. Let me, I, I took a screenshot of this. This is hilarious. This is from BuzzFeed. While some states may decide on relaxing their COVID-19 restrictions individually, others, including Michigan and Minnesota, have joined regional alliances to coordinate their plans. This chart shows the trajectory of new cases for these regional groups. The Western group comprises California, Oregon, and Washington. The Midwest group includes Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And the Northeast group is Connecticut, Delaware, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. Where's the South? Where, where's the South in this? They're, they're, they're nowhere. They're not listed. You've got Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, and Tennessee, and possibly now Arkansas coming together in a regional alliance. And BuzzFeed ignores them as if they don't even exist. Now, in fairness, as a friend pointed out, the last time Southern states got together in a regional alliance didn't go so well. Well, for them, I'm talking about the SEC. It went badly for them because they weren't in the SEC. But you, you know what he was talking about. You, you know you know what he really meant. And that's fair. But still, you know, I, I have a sneaking suspicion. I do. That there is more data out there. Yeah, so I, I spend most of my day. In fact, I got to rebut the Dr. Fauci conspiracy theory here in a moment. That's That's taking hold of stuff. But before I do that, I, I, I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory. It's not much of one, but if the data is true that sunshine and heat and humidity will curtail the virus, southern states stand to benefit. Now, why the southern states? Why not Arizona? Why not New Mexico? Well, because it seems to be a combination of heat and humidity. Why heat and humidity? I I don't quite understand it, but, you know, your breath is water vapor. And the virus gets into the water vapor of your mouth and you expel that water vapor with the virus. And people inhale it and they get it. Well, if you've got water vapor in the air and the water vapor in the air is warm and a lot of it, uh, it makes it harder for the virus to transmit because if there's no, not a lot of water vapor in the air, when you breathe out the water vapor, then well, then your water vapor is basically the only water vapor there that people are breathing in. I, I, I'm, I'm trying. I get. I'm not a scientist, and I am probably getting this completely wrong. But humidity and high temperatures seem to help. Now, I have said several times here. What about Singapore? Singapore has high humidity and has been hot. It's been in the 90s, and the virus is spreading there again. And multiple reporters have pointed out to me the reason it's spreading in Singapore 
uh, is because of migrant work tenements where people are living together in large complexes. Uh, you've got 10 people living in a bedroom and they're spreading it among themselves. It's the migrant worker spread. It's not the residential spread. Uh, and, and it's because of the clusters and living conditions. So there is data to suggest that otherwise it's going to work, that, that heat and humidity work. And if so, then the South is going to be okay. If that's true, the South will be fine. Georgia will be fine. If that's true, there's still a lot we don't know. But part of me just wonders if in the back of their mind, some of these reporters realize this, that the South has an advantage that the the Northwest and the Northeast don't have. The heat and humidity of the South will actually help them when the virus uh, tries to spike, that we will have warm weather. What's what's the, let me pull this up on, on, my, on my handy dandy laptop right here in front of me. Uh, because you know, we're, we're, we had these storms come through and now what's the weather forecast. It's going to be in the eighties by Sunday, 79. I, I'm that that's Atlanta. What about Macon in Macon? It'll be 75 tomorrow and then 81 and then 86 and then 88 in Athens. It's going to be in the eighties, 86 on Sunday and gorgeous in Athens, sunny in Clarksville. It's going to be 82 and gorgeous. In Rome, it's going to be gorgeous in 80. It's going to be in the 80s. It's going to be beautiful. People are going to want to be outside. The weather is going to be warmed up. Keep your social distance. And maybe the weather, the humidity, the heat of the summer in the South is going to actually help us. And it's just interesting to me how so many people in the media, they, they want to run these, these crummy stories about Georgia. By the way, uh, Colorado and other states, you're not hearing these stories about these states. You're not hearing stories about Colorado. I, I wonder if it has anything to do with the Democratic governor there as opposed to the Republican governor who had the audacity to beat Stacey Abrams. Pretty sure that has a lot to do with the coverage of Georgia right now. But a lot of reporters are just ignoring the South altogether. And yeah, there's some contemptuousness of the South. I get that. There's contemptuousness of Trump country. But I really do think that a, a lot of it, they're kind of ignoring the South because they realize there, there is a latent advantage to the heat and humidity of the South when it comes to fighting this virus. If the briefing from the White House last week, that the Clorox briefing was, was, was right, the doctor said that we're seeing heat and humidity actually does work to lower the transmission of the virus. That means the Southern summer is going to give us an advantage that New England and, and the Northwest don't have. Northern California doesn't have that. Northern California is in the in the 70s and foggy all the time. And so they got to just ignore us altogether. That that's that's my conspiracy. I realize I am saying it's a conspiracy theory because I got no evidence of that. But it is curious how much of the media is just completely ignoring the South now in its coverage of the viral spread. Man, poor old Chris Hayes on MSNBC. I woke up this morning. He's still trending. Chris Hayes is still trending on Twitter. Why? Because of this monologue. Things should be believed on its face, but that you do have to fight yourself when you feel that impulse. You have to do that in order to take seriously what is being alleged and what the evidence is and to evaluate it. And that is the case with the accusation by a woman named Tara Reid against Joe Biden. <gasps> Reid briefly worked as a Senate aide in Biden's office in the early 90s. Last year, she told a California newspaper that in 1993, Joe Biden, quote, touched her several times, making her feel uncomfortable. Now, at that time, Reid was one of several women who came forward around that moment 
with accusations against the former vice president of inappropriate sort of over-physicalness, touching, kissing, or hugging that they say made them feel uncomfortable. Then last month, she made a much more serious allegation, telling first a podcast and later the New York Times that in 1993, Joe Biden pinned her to a wall in a Senate building, reached under her clothing, and penetrated her with his fingers. Reid told the Times that she filed a complaint with the Senate that same year about what, about what happened with Biden. Quote, she said she did not have a copy of it and such paperwork has not been located. Now, Reid also said she complained to Biden's executive assistant, as well as to two top aides about harassment by Mr. Biden, not mentioning the alleged assault. All three of those people who were interviewed by the Times deny having any memory of a complaint. A spokeswoman for Joe Biden says the allegation is false, and they have strongly denied it. This week, there was also a new development in the story, and that is that Tara Reid's former neighbor at the time went on the record with her name telling Business Insider that in 1995 or 1996, a few years after this, that Reid told her she had been assaulted by Biden. NBC News reached out to Reid's neighbor, who later confirmed by text message the story. This on-the-record reporting from a neighbor, a roughly contemporaneous relaying of the story, has rightly occasioned a new round of coverage and scrutiny, while also creating some serious tension within the progressive coalition about how the Biden... And that clip cuts out there. You get the sense of it, though. He's in hot water with the left today for daring, daring to broach the subject of what happened. Uh, It really actually is kind of amazing that that, uh, we're in this divide. You know that one of the founding members of the Me Too movement is really standing with Biden. Uh, This is from Discern, the founder of the Flashpoint Me Too movement, which has succeeded in exposing countless male sexual predators across the country and the world, is refusing to denounce Joe Biden, even as he stands accused of sexually assaulting one of his aides in 1993. Tarana Burke, who is generally seen as the primary activist for the Me Too movement, said that voters should not focus too much on the allegation of Biden's accuser, Tara Reid. The defense of Joe Biden shouldn't rest on whether or not he's a good guy or our only hope. Instead, he could demonstrate what it looks like to be both accountable and electable. Burke notes Reid has been afforded the opportunity to speak her truth. Biden has not yet been asked about any of this stuff. And uh, Alyssa Milano is coming out. You know, Alyssa Milano was Believe All Women. And Hollywood is full of predators. And we need to bring them all down. And and women need to stick up for women. And man, she is not sticking up for Tara Reid. She is throwing that woman under the bus. Wants nothing to do with her. Wants to defend Joe Biden. Does not want to live up to her own standard. And I actually want to spend a little bit of time on that when we come back. And I I need more time than I got right now. I want to take your comments and calls as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let me play this, though, by Jonathan Carl on ABC News. I've known you a long time. Some of our viewers are going to watch this. They're going to say, Justice Kavanaugh was treated horribly by the media. Joe Biden, they think he's getting very light treatment. And they they see you and some of your colleagues in that briefing room, and they say, you're just playing gotcha. Here's your fair chance to respond. Well, well, look, in fact, uh, ABC News just uh, is about to post a story on the allegations against Joe Biden. Uh, when I go into that briefing room, I'm not asking questions of Joe Biden. If, if, if I was, uh, I'd be a different set of questions than when I'm asking questions of Donald Trump. There is no question, Ed, that these allegations against uh, uh, Vice President Biden are going to 
have to be answered for. He's going to have to answer these questions. And I think you're seeing uh, the, the story uh, as more evidence has come forward. Uh, it's, it's being covered. In fact, I think it's on the front page of The Washington Post today. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he's going to have to cover it. They're not going to be able to get out of this. They're going to have to find a way to talk about the situation because it continues to drip out. Uh, the, you know, so Biden's team was, and you heard Stacey Abrams, you know, uh, let, let me play. Where, where's the excerpted Stacey Abrams bit? Biden's campaign says untrue, never happened. Is this a credible allegation? I believe that women deserve to be heard and I believe that they need to be listened to. But I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden. I believe that he is a person who has demonstrated that his love of family, his love of our community has been made perfectly clear through his work Citing the New York Times, well, hang on, this is from Mike Brest, uh, the Washington Examiner. The New York Times has issued a strong rebuke of the Biden campaign for allegedly misrepresenting the publication's deep dive into sexual assault allegations levied against the presidential contender. Tara Reid, 56, who worked in Biden's Senate office in 93, alleged that Biden inappropriately touched her and uh, did all this other stuff. Uh, The Biden campaign is instructing supporters to use talking points referencing the New York Times' recent investigation. However, the newspaper accused the Biden team of misconstruing the findings. Hey, wait a second. Stacey Abrams was just using those talking points. Was she using talking points? Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. My goodness gracious, this happened. Uh, Allison Camerata on CNN with Nancy Pelosi. Understood. Okay, um, Speaker, I also want to ask you about former Vice President Joe Biden and about this allegation that is being made by one of his former Senate staffers. Um, Do you think that it is time for Vice President Biden to address this head on himself? Well, I I have great sympathy for any women who bring forth an allegation. I'm a big, strong supporter of the Me Too movement. I I think it's been a great, made a great contribution uh, to our country. And and I do um, uh, support Joe Biden. I'm satisfied uh, with how he has uh, responded. I know him. I was proud to endorse him the other day on Monday. Very proud to endorse him. Uh, and so I'm, I'm satisfied with that. Uh, I mean, he hasn't, to be clear, he hasn't addressed it. His campaign has addressed it, but he has not directly addressed it. Should he directly, publicly address it? Whoa. You know, it's a, a, a matter that he has to deal with. But I am impressed with the people who worked for him at the time saying they ever, absolutely never heard one uh, uh, iota of information about this. Nobody ever brought forth a, a claim or had anybody else tell them about such a claim. Uh, but again, we have a, um, a, an important election at hand, one that is, I think, one of the most important ones that we've had. We say that every election, but I think this one is the most crucial. And I, I supported him because he's a person of great values, integrity, authenticity, <laughs> imagination, uh, and a connection 
uh, to the American people. He understands the kitchen. T- yeah, 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 yeah. This, this is starting to sound like Stacey Abrams. It's just, just remarkable. Let me go back to the Abrams bit. Let me play this again from uh, um, Don Lemon show. Biden's campaign says untrue, never happened. Is this a credible allegation? I believe that women deserve to be heard, and I believe that they need to be listened to. But I also believe that those allegations have to be investigated by credible sources. The New York Times did a deep investigation, and they found that the accusation was not credible. I believe Joe Biden. I believe that he is a person who has demonstrated that his love of family, his love of our community has been made perfectly clear through his work. I can cut that off there because you notice she, too, brings up the New York Times. And now we know from BuzzFeed and the New York Times, of all things, uh, that this was a talking point of the Biden campaign. The Biden campaign is pushing people to say the New York Times thoroughly investigated. And now the New York Times is pushing back and say, wait, not so fast. It wasn't a thorough investigation. Stop telling people that. Well, now we have Alyssa Milano. And this is this is hilarious. Uh, talk about trying to to split the baby, and she's no King Solomon. Uh, this is her writing in Deadline about the uh, Tara Reid matter. When I sent the Me Too tweet, which helped spark a movement by amplifying the work of Tarana Burke in 2017, I didn't know what it would bring. I knew I was in pain. I knew millions of women around the world were in pain. And I knew how lonely that pain was, how isolating the experience of being a victim of sexual assault was, and how bad it was for us as a nation and as a species. But then it took off. And as a moment became a, as a moment became a movement that had been relegated to the shadows by a patriarchal system. And we stepped out into the light together. It was breathtaking and powerful and changed the world. It also changed me. Isn't it instructive that conversations about gender violence continue to haunt men of power when we live in a culture whose structure fundamentally thrive upon the objectification and oppressive woman? It is not surprising that men who participate in these practices find great success in life. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but here we go. <laughs> Get ready. As an activist, it can be very easy to develop a black and white view of the world. Things are clearly wrong or clearly right. Harvey Weinstein's decades of rape were clearly wrong. Donald Trump's alleged sexual assaults were clearly wrong. Brett Kavanaugh's action told consistently over decades by his victim and supported by her polygraph results were clearly wrong. So were Matt Lauer's. Bill Cosby's and so many others as we started holding politicians and business leaders and celebrities around the world accountable for their actions. It was easy to sort things into their perspective buckets. This is wrong. This is right. Holding people accountable for their actions was not only right. It was just except it's not always so easy. And living in the gray areas is something we're trying to figure out in the world of social media. And here's something social media doesn't afford us. Nuance. The world is gray, and as uncomfortable as that makes people, gray is where the real change happens. Black and white is easy. Gray is the place women can come together out of the glare of the election and speak our truths, our doubts, our hopes, our convictions, and test them against the light and the dark. 
Oh, good Lord. Here we go. It's not up to women to admonish or absolve perpetrators or to be regarded as complicit when we don't denounce them. Nothing makes that clearer than the women who are still supporting Joe Biden, even with these accusations. Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, Amy Klobuchar, Nancy Pelosi, and Elizabeth Warren have all endorsed Biden and, like me, continue to support him because it's an impossible choice. It falls upon women to navigate within the system of men's design to make pragmatic choices that we hope will lead us to a more equal future. I still support Joe Biden because I believe that's the best choice for that future. And again, it's not up to women to absolve perpetrators. How do progressive women choose between the blankety-blank grabber-in-chief who's done so much to damage our country and a men who's had allegations made against him? In a black-and-white world, We'd have a woman to rally behind to replace Trump instead of an electoral college which says white men are the dry people driving the charge yet again this year. The allegations against Joe Biden concern me deeply. He's a man I know, respect, and admire, and who I can't picture doing any of the things of which he's accused. But I've thought that before and been wrong, and sexual assault is always wrong. This is the position we're in as women, but make no mistake, it's not because of women. It's the men's fault. It's the men's fault. Oh, my goodness. As far as his accuser, I want every survivor to have space to tell their story. But I also don't want her to be fodder for the machine. And I honestly don't know what's next. Believing women was never about believe all women, no matter what they say. Yes, it was at the time. It was about changing the culture of not believing women by default. It was about ending the patriarchy's dangerous drive for self-preservation at all costs. Victims be damned. It's okay to be confused by the complexities progressive women face at every choice. It's okay to feel like there's no right way out, just the best way available. It's okay to look at evidence and come to your own conclusion. It's okay to vote the way you want, and it's okay to wish it was also very different. I want powerful men and women to continue to be held accountable for their bad actions. I want victims to be free to be heard. I want there to be honest process of proving out accusations one way or the other, and I want to keep having the conversation. Great googly moogly, y'all. My head hurts. That's a long way to say, yeah, Joe Biden maybe did it, but the other guy's worse. But she doesn't really want to say that, does she? I don't even know how many words this was. Let's see. Dun, da, da. I'm doing this on the fly. Why? Because I, I'm uh, there's 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 always a method. To, well, there's not always a method, my man. Let's be honest. Who am I kidding here? But still, you get my point. Uh, this is approximately a thousand one hundred eighty-three. Oh, let's let's cut all that stuff out right there. 1,082 words. 1,082 words Alyssa Milano wrote to basically say, yeah, Biden might have done it, but I'm still voting for him because he's only too alleged to have grabbed a woman by her. <laughs> Donald Trump says he did it. That's, 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 that's her standard. And hey, more power to her. More power to her. But really, uh, do we need a, a an Alyssa Milano who's been been preening about all this stuff for so long to do this? This is this is. Let me go back to this paragraph. It's not up to women to admonish or absolve perpetrators 
or to be regarded as complicit when we don't announce it. But that was her whole MO earlier. With Brett Kavanaugh, you see, that was what they did. Let's not allow them to revise history now to defend Joe Biden. And that's what this is about. Listen, y'all. The allegation about Joe Biden from Tara Reid is 30 years old. And she said nothing when he was being vetted to be vice president. She said nothing when the New York Times was asking women about Joe Biden being gropey, gropey. She waited until she admitted it on a podcast sometime later. She didn't say anything at the time. She said nothing. And if we believe the Stacey Abramses of the world, we, we, we have to admit that there are times that because of men in power, women don't say anything when they could, when they should, when they should stand up. They're too scared and we need to be sympathetic to them. And so maybe that's the case. But the issue here, I want you to understand this from my perspective, and you can disagree. But from my perspective, the issue here is not that Joe Biden sexually assaulted Tara Reid 30 years ago any more than it is that Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted Christine Blasey Ford 40 years ago. That, that's not the issue. Whether you believe it happened in either case or not, that's not the issue. The issue here is the very same people who condemned Brett Kavanaugh are given a pass to Joe Biden. They'll believe Christine Blasey Ford, who had no witnesses, but they won't believe Tara Reid, who has multiple people who corroborated in near time that she told them. They'll believe Christine Blasey Ford, who told no one ever until Brett Kavanaugh was headed to the Supreme Court. But they won't believe Tara Reid, who told her neighbor, who told coworkers, who told uh, people uh, that, that she was roommates with at the time. Uh, they won't believe Tara Reid when, when one of the key details is that she was taken off helping interns. And the interns who were there at the time say, yep, she was taken off helping us, no explanation given. They won't believe the audio of Tara Reid's mother calling Larry King live. Tara Reid says her mom even called into Larry King live. And by God, we then find video or audio of this woman calling into Larry King live. All of that stuff happened in real time. And we're not supposed to believe any of this stuff. We're not supposed to believe it. Yes. Hello. Um, I'm wondering what um, uh, a, a staffer uh, would do, do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. There's Sarah Reed's mother in the 90s. As all this stuff is being discussed, are we not supposed to believe her mom? Her mom has since passed away. Multiple people have said, yep, that's her mom. Recognize the voice. There's a lot of evidence that that it happened. There's also no evidence Joe Biden did this to anyone else. But the issue has never been about whether or not he did it. And that's what you need to see here. The issue is about the way the media covered Brett Kavanaugh 
versus the way the media is covering this. Joe Biden has had multiple interviews since the Tara Reid allegations came out, and no one has asked him about it. No one has bothered to challenge him. And when Stacey Abrams went on Don Lemon's show on Monday night, she was parenting, parroting multiple times. On multiple times in that interview, she cited the New York Times' thorough investigation. And now again, the New York Times, this is from Mike Brest at, at the Washington Examiner. The New York Times issued a strong rebuke of the Biden campaign for allegedly misrepresenting the publication's deep dive into sexual assault allegations levied against the presidential contender. Tara Reid, 56, who worked in Biden's Senate office in 93, alleged Joe Biden inappropriately touched her. The presumptive Democratic presidential campaign has denied the allegations. Biden hasn't addressed them. The Biden campaign is instructing supporters to use talking points referencing the New York Times recent allegations. Here's what they said. BuzzFeed reported on the existence of talking points being circulated by the Biden campaign that inaccurately suggest a New York Times investigation found that Tara Reid's allegation did not happen. Danielle Rhodes Ha, the paper's vice president of communications, told the Washington Examiner on Wednesday, our investigation made no conclusion either way. As BuzzFeed correctly reported, our story found three former Senate aides whom Reid said she complained to contemporaneously all of whom either did not remember the incident or said that it did not happen. The story also included former interns who remembered Reed suddenly changing roles and no longer overseeing them, which took place during the same time period Reed says she was abruptly reassigned. The Times also spoke to a friend who said Reed told her the details of the allegations at the time. Another friend and Reed's brother say she told them of the traumatic sexual incident involving Biden. So in other words... You've got the New York Times coming out and saying the Biden campaign is telling people to use this talking point and the talking point is not accurate. And you've got Stacey Abrams going on television parroting the Joe Biden talking point. In other words, Stacey Abrams wasn't saying what she thought. She was saying what the Joe Biden campaign told her to say. Maybe Don Lemon should have a do-over. By the way, this, this is another one. This one makes me laugh. Um, this is about Katie Hill, California Congresswoman, resigns amid allegations of affair with her staffer. Uh, although it's more than that. Apparently, there were all sorts of other things and pressure brought to bear, according to some. But uh, so Michael Stern, who is a prosecutor, former federal prosecutor, says Katie Hill had a consensual affair with a staffer. Kavanaugh was credibly charged with attempted rape. Katie Hill's resigning. He's on the Supreme Court. Democrats stop going high when they go low. Take a lesson from Ralph Northam. Uh, and now he's saying, I've been holding my tongue on thoughts on Tara Reid's allegations of sexual assault about Joe Biden. I've never been any good at remaining silent. So uh, he's attacking Tara Reid. You know one of his attacks on Tara Reid? I've read this column. It's actually kind of funny. Uh, believe it or not, this is happening on the left now, is that Tara Reid is a Putin plant. <laughs> you knew this was going to happen. It always goes back to Vladimir Putin. Oh, my gosh. Someone's accusing Joe Biden of something inappropriate. It must be Vladimir Putin behind it. This guy is actually uh, doing that. <laughs> you, knew, you knew it was going to happen. You, you, you knew it was going to happen. Uh-huh. <laughs>
it's always Vladimir Putin's fault, people. Little Pooty Poot, he's in charge of everything. If something bad happens, it's 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 Putin. Oh my goodness gracious! Um, you know, I I wonder how much longer we're going to hear stories of. Do you know why southern states are recovering faster from coronavirus than New England and in, in the Northwest? Russia's been helping. Russia sent them supplies. It, it, it's Vladimir Putin who's protecting them. Really, it's it's terrible there, but the Putin machine is covered. I mean, it's always, always blame Putin on the president. And see, this is why there is a serious situation building with China. There is a real serious situation building with China, and we need to figure out a way forward to be able to deal with the Chinese situation. We need to figure out a way forward to be able to combat China, and too many members of the press are sympathetic to China. Think how often we've had members of the press, pedal stories, including CNN and the New York Times and the LA Times and USA Today and the Washington Post and MSNBC all say that China handled this so well. The, the, the Chinese military did well. They, they stepped up. The Chinese are doing well. <sighs> Y'all, they're really, see, I, I, I just, I have the sneaking suspicion that members of the press think, hey, if the Chinese and the Russians are both going to do this, we should at least go with China. I, I just, I have this sneaking suspicion that that's where we're going to go with this. That, hey, China and Russia, they're both bad, but the Chinese are less bad. Have you been to Shanghai? Look how so technologically adept it is. We should go with the Chinese. I, I, I really do think that there's a discussion here. The Chinese, are they, they just disappear you if you're a member of the press. The Russians throw you out of, of high buildings. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, I, I We got problems here, folks. We got real problems with the media that hate the president so much, they're willing to side with the Chinese communists and then blame Russia for anything they don't like. Anytime something goes the wrong way for Democrats now, including this Tara Reid story, you've got Democrats saying, oh, it was the Russians, it's the Russians. That's what it is, it's the Russians. Maybe it's not actually. Welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Yeah, that would be me. I am Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, as I wake up my monitor that has gone to sleep. Now, I got other stuff to talk about, but I do need to do a little bit of virus stuff, too. It is important. It is. It is. Uh, let me give you some of the, the audit trail for the state of Georgia. It is right now as of uh, 11.07 a.m., 143,790 tests, 25,939 confirmed cases, 5,103 hospitalizations, 1,161 ICU admissions, and 1,103 deaths. We have crossed the 30 or the 60,000 death uh, metric in the United States. We have now, uh, let me give you the spread here. On the 20th, there were 842 
cases of COVID-19 reported that day. Seven days later, we were down to 285 cases. And now we are today eight cases, but that number will go up. For example, yesterday, there were five cases. When I concluded the program yesterday, there were five cases, but that's because of a testing delay. Uh, by the time the, the sun had risen this morning, they're reporting 93 cases yesterday. But uh, so from August or from April, April 20th to April 29th, we went from 842 cases to 93 cases. The governor is preparing to open the state of Georgia. The shelter-in-place order expires at midnight. I'm going to interview the governor this afternoon, as a matter of fact, about this. I'll bring the interview to you tomorrow morning. Um, and my guess, I'm hearing a rumor that it's not going to be really a full shell, uh, full release. What's going to actually happen is that the governor is, and again, uh, I, I could be wrong. I'm just going based on unsubstantiated rumor. But hey, at least I'm not one of those people who's telling you something as if it's gospel truth when in fact it's unsubstantiated rumor. I just want you to know up front, I'm giving you unsubstantiated rumor, but I trust the source. That what's actually going to happen is is the governor's going to say we're going we're we're going to start slowly reopening, but uh, when you go out and about, you, you're going to need to actually do due diligence, be safe, uh, not congregate, keep your distance, and wear a mask if you can. I guess I'm finally going to have to go. I, I had a I had a troubling experience yesterday where I went to pick up food from a local Chinese restaurant, and there were a bunch of people clustered together, and I wasn't wearing my mask, and I thought, I you know, I got I got gonna have to wear my mask. Because people are stupid. And I'm going to have to wear the mask when I go in public now. I I don't want to, but I got to. So I'll start wearing my... I actually had someone... You know, I've got some disposable masks. And so, okay. Uh, all right, all right, all right. I, I got I to gotta give you guys the story. Just bear with me here. I'll get to real news. Just bear with me. So... I was online and uh, read a tech website, and the tech website said, hey, Amazon has uh, disposable masks available for you to wear in public. And so I clicked through, and they're the only masks you could buy on Amazon. And I reached out to a friend of mine who's a doctor and said, are these worthwhile? And, and my friend who's a doctor said, yes, I've got some. They're better than nothing. When you read... <laughs> When you read the description, though, on Amazon, guess where these masks are made? Wuhan, China. <laughs> yes. And they say they're not surgical grade. They provide some filtration. They're better than cloth, but they're not as good as regular. Well, you can't find surgical masks, and the doctors need them anyway. So these are better than cloth, better than nothing, better than cloth. Uh, but not as good as surgical. They, and they have some filtration in them, but not surgical filtration. And so I bought some. Well, there was a conversation on the Nextdoor app of, can anybody find masks? Well, I put up a thing and said, listen, I know people are looking for masks. I found these on Amazon, uh, a box of 50, and you can buy them if you want. Uh, well, some some woman got on. These are made in Wuhan, China. It'd be better off wearing nothing than wearing these masks. Holy Lord, don't buy them then. I don't care. My doctor told me that uh, they're better than nothing. They're better than cloth. They're not as good as surgical masks, but they're good. He's got some. Same brand, too. He's got them. So I got some. 
But man, these people on, on Nextdoor went nuts. Uh, now, if, for those of you who are familiar with Nextdoor, Nextdoor is like Facebook, except for people in your neighborhood. And so ten, it tends to be more civil because it's all your neighbors. Well, these people, they they came ugly. These are made in China. I'm not buying anything from China. I would rather go without. Okay, go go without. I don't care. People were just asking if I if anybody knew where masks were, and I put up a link on Amazon and said, I got these. My doctor said they're okay. Uh, they're, they're not as good as some. And yes, full disclosure, they're from Wuhan, China. But did you know that like 80% of surgical masks in the world are made in Wuhan, China? I didn't actually know that. There's a, a story in the Wall Street Journal when we talk about becoming medically sufficient in this country to make stuff for ourselves. Uh, that's one of the things is medical supplies. Overwhelmingly, Wuhan was known for making medical supplies, including uh, masks and surgical gowns and stuff. That's where so many of them come from. And so naturally, someone said, what if they set the virus on them? You don't order them then. Leave me alone. I'm just trying to, good Lord, uh, people go nuts. Um, it, social media is so bad. Uh, it, it really just, it, it drives people crazy. Now, l- let me let me give you some of the other background of what's happening out there. There's the stupid gotcha politics story. Did you know the governor's office, uh, the governor is saying you can get out and about. But the governor's mansion is going to stay closed. And some gotcha reporters out there are like, wait a second. You're telling people they can go out, but you're not opening your place. Well, there's a freaking shelter and order in place. You can't go touring the governor's mansion. Now that's going to expire. The governor's mansion is going to stay closed. So now they're asking him again. Governor Kip, why aren't you open the governor's mansion? If you think it's safe for people to go out, why can't they come to your house? Well, you're not inviting people over to your house, are you? The stupid gotcha politics in the press these days is why so many people hate members of the press. But uh, the actual story is that the tour guides are elderly at the governor's mansion. And the governor does not want to put the elderly couple who oversees the tours at risk. So they're keeping the tours closed, but he would like to get them open as soon as we can. That's a kind of no-brainer answer. And the fact that so many people are trying to play gotcha politics on this should really disturb everyone. The media is just beclowning itself on all of this stuff. It's like this vaccine. So we have heard members of the media for weeks now, you've heard we need a Manhattan project for a vaccine. The New York Times editorialists have talked about, we need a Manhattan project. The Manhattan project was the the scientific gathering to build the nuclear bomb to end World War II. And we need a nuclear project. We need a Manhattan project to build a vaccine. And the media has been breathlessly reporting on progress and how they're speeding it up and, and they've gone straight to monkey. Now, is this not ironic? They're testing the virus on monkeys. The rhesus monkey, they say, is the closest animal to to mankind on planet Earth. And they're testing it on the rhesus monkey. And it's showing this vaccine they've got at Oxford. They started testing it in Minnesota as well, the same vaccine, and it's showing good progress. That's the monkeys are getting COVID-19 except for the monkeys with the vaccine. And they're not showing any harmful side effects. They're about ready to move it into human testing. There's a kid at Emory, a 20-something-year-old Sean Doyle at Emory. He signed up to be a, a, a guinea pig for the vaccine. We're rapidly moving forward. Normally, it takes about a year to two years to get a vaccine on the market. We're speeding it up. Dr. Fauci wants to sped up. Everybody wants to sped up. The media has been saying we need a, a Manhattan Project. They've been chronicling all the red tape we were going to get rid of and how fast we were going to go. And we were going to get this vaccine in record time. And hoorah, yeah! Well, here comes the New York Times, David Sanger. Trump seeks push to speed vaccine despite safety concerns. 
President Donald Trump is pressing his health officials to pursue a crash development program for a coronavirus vaccine that could be widely distributed by the beginning of next year. Despite widespread skepticism, such an effort could succeed and considerable concern about the implications for safety. The White House has made no public announcement of the new effort called Operation Warp Speed, and some officials are apparently trying to talk the president down, telling him that it would be more harmful to set an unreasonably short deadline than might result in a faulty vaccine than to wait for one that's proven safe and effective. According to one official, the idea would be indemnify the major pharmaceutical and biotech companies from liability if the virus causes sickness or death and to involve the Pentagon in the testing program. But most of the military's efforts have focused on defense against biological weapons, not viruses that arise naturally or are transmitted by community spread. What are we going to do? We're all going to die. I mean, this is the New York Times, which the, the editorials at the New York Times were, we need a Manhattan Project. We need to speak. cut the red tape, get this done. By God, we're Americans. We can do this. And now, oh my God, Trump wants to take it seriously. There's no winning with these people. You can't take them seriously. They want to speed it up. They want the Manhattan Project. The president takes them seriously. No, Mr. President, you can't take us seriously. We were only saying this to attack you for not speeding up. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what it is. When they're, they, they constantly move the goalposts and this stuff. Remember, remember, it was, we've got to flatten the curve and we can all go back to work. And now we're flattened, we flattened the curve. And now they're like, no, we need to smash the curve before we can go back to work. Flattening was good enough last month, but now it's not good enough. We can do it. This constant goalpost moving is what drives me insane. You know, I think we needed to shelter in place. I do. But we sheltered in place. I said we needed to flatten the curve. And we did. And so now I'm saying we sheltered in place. We flattened the curve. Let's start slowly going back to work as best we can. If you got to make everybody wear masks, make everybody wear a mask. But a lot of these people, they just keep moving the goalposts. No, no, it, it, it can't. We can't go back to work because we haven't gotten rid of the virus. Well, we're, you've already told us that we're not going to get rid of the virus. It's going to rebound. Does that mean we got to stay home forever? And I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion some of these people want to wipe out capitalism. They don't want to wipe out the virus. They want to wipe out the free market. And that's why they're doing this. Because now you got Democrats say, hey, people, we're going to have to stay home even longer. We might as well have a universal basic income. The government's just going to have to start paying people to stay home. It really is amazing that all the, the, the prescriptions that people wanted before this virus or the prescriptions they want for this virus, it's very much like climate change. This is why I get the skepticism on people who, who are hesitant on the models because the scientific models on climate change have been so wrong for so long. I get the skepticism. Never mind that an epidemiological model is, is not a, a global uh, atmospheric model that contemplates all sorts of stuff. It's actually something that's been done for 100 years. Uh, but I get the skepticism. But it's like the, the global warming people in the 1970s, 1980s, they were saying we were going to have, uh, what, a global cooling and we needed to, to disrupt capitalism and end big business and end the coal plants and on and on. And now, uh, oh, no, it's not global cooling, it's global warming. And guess what? We need to do the exact same damn things to stop global warming that we were going to do to stop the global cooling. It's the same stuff. When your solutions are exactly the same for every problem under the sun, maybe your solutions are wrong or your theory is wrong. But nope, nope, you're, you're, you're a climate denier for saying that. You know, I'm actually in the camp. I've decided that, yeah, I think there's enough scientific data out there that 
the world is warming. But I also think that they overstate it. I also think that they amplify mankind's role. I also think that the government trying to fix it will make it worse. I also think I don't care about it because the world has been warming and cooling for millions of years. I don't care about the issue. And yet you have to care about the issue or you're a terrible person. You know, they finally did trot out Greta Thunberg to lecture us on on the virus. And yet now we're hearing all these people. You know, I, I wonder if this is the other thing. I, I wonder if there's, there's, there's in the back of the mind of some of these people, it's not flat the curve. It is not smash the curve. It's stay home and never leave again because CO2 emissions are down. The water is healing. The world is healing itself. It turns out we're the virus. I mean, we're starting to hear environmental wackos say that. You had that Bill Weir guy on CNN pin this awful thing that basically it's Judeo-Christianity that's gotten us into this place. And we need to get rid of all of that uh, to heal the world. Yeah, this guy, he writes the screen. He's got this new board son. He apparently wasn't going to have a kid and accidentally had a kid. He even tells us it, it was a, it conceived in a lighthouse. I didn't need to know that. And now he's like, oh, this this planet is is it's it's terrible, and and we're the virus, and and you poor child, we've done this to you, and, and the whole thing is just it's it's it is is climate as religion, and it is bizarre. You know the difference between Christianity and environmentalists. In Christianity, uh, when your sins are forgiven, you get to go to heaven. With environmentalism, when you repent of your polluting ways, you're still going to burn in hell unless everyone else repents as well or you get rid of them. This is why on the left, these secular religions that that crop up, this is why authoritarianism and tyranny come about, is because in the Christian religion, uh, you're forgiven your sins and you get your path to heaven based on what you do. With with these secular tyrannies, authoritarianism, communism, and environmentalism and the like, uh, you're still going to hell as long as there are sinners out there. It doesn't matter what you've done as long as the other people. So you gotta you gotta get rid of the other people. You gotta silence them, punish them, force them to be reeducated. Something that that's the major difference between the secular religions and the Christian religion is you're you're never safe in the secular religion until all the other people are vanquished. Man, I, so I I gotta I gotta push back on this conspiracy theory I'm starting to get from people. It it, it really is amazing the number of people who want to believe the conspiracy theory who, who they they read it in a garbage publication like Newsweek, and I don't want to pick on friends because uh, one of them sent me this leak, but I've seen it from so many people now, and and uh, my friend who sent it is not taking it as real, but a lot of people are. Uh, this is from Newsweek. Newsweek is the garbage publication that accused me of burning a cross in my yard by decorating an Easter cross and Christmas lights. We left it up, by the way. So did all the neighbors. Here's the headline. Dr. Fauci backed controversial Wuhan lab with millions of U.S. dollars for risky coronavirus research. Dr. Anthony Fauci is an advisor to President Donald Trump and something of an American folk hero for a steady, calm leadership during the pandemic crisis. At least one poll shows that Americans trust Fauci more than Trump on the coronavirus pandemic, and few scientists are portrayed on TV by Brad Pitt. But just last year, the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the organization led by Dr. Fauci, funded scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and other institutions for work on gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses. In 2019, 
With the backing of NIAID, the National Institutes of Health committed $3.7 million over six years for research that included some gain-of-function work. The program followed another $3.5 million five-year project for collecting and studying bat coronaviruses. Many scientists have criticized gain-of-function research, which involves manipulating viruses in the lab to explore their potential for infecting humans because it creates a risk of starting a pandemic. SARS-CoV-2, the virus now causing a global pandemic, is believed to have originated in bats. U.S. intelligence, after originally asserting that the coronavirus had occurred naturally, conceded last month that the pandemic may have originated from a leak from the lab. Uh, y'all. Dr. Fauci did not give money to this lab. The money was given to a group called EcoHealth Alliance. It is a nonprofit research group. It works globally with labs around the world to study the potential for viruses jumping into people. For example, one of the diseases being studied is chronic wasting syndrome, which is prevalent in deer and is the next virus projected to jump from animals to people. It it is showing so many signs that it's getting ready to jump into people that scientists in this country are rapidly studying. Missouri in particular is, is dumping money at the state level into stopping it because they've got such a bad case of chronic wasting disease in deer in Missouri. And so Dr. Fauci was spending money to study uh, coronaviruses, specifically SARS was the virus being studied. And he gave the money to the EcoHealth Alliance, which was studying around the world. And the EcoHealth Alliance is the one that authorized the Wuhan lab to study it. Dr. Fauci didn't do it. Dr. Fauci wasn't in charge of it. Dr. Fauci didn't make the call. Dr. Fauci made the call to go with EcoHealth Alliance, which is a global nonprofit that is respected around the world. But you've got people on the right. I mean, this is the same publication that accused me of burning a cross in my yard, now spreading Fauci conspiracy theories. I'm so tired of people who just are profiting from lies, who are profiting from not telling the truth, who are profiting from twisting the truth to spin you up into into nonsense. There's so much out there that is actually true that's outrageous. To try to come up with the lies to build them even more, it's just, just disgusting to me that they're doing this. Really, really disgusting. When we come back, One of the true things you should be spun up on, Bill de Blasio in New York City and his treatment of Jewish citizens. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to call in, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And I'm just, I I, I see the story coming across. There's other stuff I want to talk about out there. Uh, Well, you know what? Let Let me get to this first. Remember the fish tank cleaner couple uh, out in Arizona? The uh, the man uh, died. The woman did not. She was in critical condition. Apparently, they got fish aquarium cleaner, which is uh, chloroquine. So you can use high levels of chloroquine for cleaning aquariums. 
And to put it in perspective, your dosing, you you may your your dose for chloroquine for malaria may be a milligram. And this was like 250 grams or some such. It was some ridiculous amount. It was like a, a gram or so. It's, it's, you're talking major, major amounts of chloroquine compared to what is given to people in dosing. And this woman apparently put it in drinks, the tablets and drinks for her and her husband. Her husband died. She was in critical condition. Well, the media seized on this story and said this was proof the president was leading people to do crazy things. It's like they are with the bleach stuff. There are all sorts of idiots out there trying to ingest cleaner uh, to protect themselves from the virus. And they're idiots. And the president's getting blamed for that, too. But this was the story the media seized on as proof that the president was leading people to, to die. Now, it turns out this couple was Democrats, but it didn't matter to the media. They they made a, a very big issue uh, of, the, of the situation. And they wanted people to know that it, the, the president caused this man to die because he had ingested aquarium cleaner, which is chloroquine. Well, now the media, the, the the media, the Washington Free Beacon reported there were some strange, strange behaviors associated. And friends of this man said he was a very brilliant engineer. They can't imagine why he would do it. Uh, and the wife, however, the wife, the wife is the one who did it to him. And now some suggestions are th- that maybe there was something nefarious there. That would seem to be the speculation of the Washington Free Beacon. Well, now the police are investigating. Uh, they're investigating it uh, to see if there's a there there. I wonder if the media will apologize to the president. Don't 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 hold your breath. Don't don't hold your breath on that. Uh, yeah, by the way, I mentioned uh, time for a sponsor shout out. Rec, uh, I, I bought a Rectech grill smoker. Uh, it, hopefully, it arrives uh, tomorrow so I can have it for the weekend. I, I hope it does. And I'm looking forward to using my Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. I'll put up pictures when I get it and when I smoke wings uh, at the very last minute covering them in Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. If you haven't had the barbecue sauce, you should have the barbecue sauce. Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce is the oldest barbecue sauce manufactured in the United States that's still commercially available, and it's from here in Georgia. While we're in this global pandemic and you want to help local businesses, consider Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. It's actually very good. Uh, Mustard-based old-school barbecue sauce, very much like what my wife's uh, grandfather used to make down in South Georgia uh, for them as a kid. It it is that sort of old-school sauce, and it is great on chicken and pork in particular. It's good on everything, Uh, but wings and stuff slathered on at the end. I can't wait to get my new grill to, to use it. I will put up pictures when I do, but thanks to Mrs. Griffin's for their continued sponsorship of the program as well. Now, I want to move on to other stuff. Because Bill de Blasio has a picture up on social media from the other day. He's standing in front of a New York City hospital, and he's not wearing a mask with his wife. And he's surrounded by hospital workers who he got down to pose with him for this picture. Consider the media outrage over the last couple of days of Mike Pence going to the Mayo Clinic and being the one person without a mask on. Now consider the picture of Bill de Blasio that he himself tweeted out of him at the hospital with no mask on, all surrounded by all these people with masks on, and the media said nothing. It really actually is kind of impressive to me how the media has been apologizing for Bill de Blasio or excusing Bill de Blasio, turning a, a blind eye. Did you know the New York governor only today is ordering the daily cleaning of the subway in New York City? There's been data out for two months now that the hardest hit parts of New York City are 
are the areas of New York City that have the longest subway commutes. The longer you are riding on the New York City subway system, the more likely you are to be hard hit by the virus. And it turns out they haven't been regularly sanitizing those trains. Why did the New York City mayor not order that? Likewise, the New York City mayor is threatening to arrest Jewish people if they gather. He broke up the funeral of a rabbi. You know, he was telling Muslims for the start of Ramadan uh, that he would deliver food to areas where they congregate. This is an actual tweet from the mayor of New York that he would, in fact, hang on a second. Uh, da, 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 da. Let me let me find this because somebody tweeted it out to me. Uh, Ted Cruz pointed it out. Where is Ted Cruz's? Yes, here we go. Uh, let me read you the two tweets. These are from Bill de Blasio. To my Muslim New Yorkers beginning their celebrations tonight who need halal meals, we have them across our 400-plus grab-and-go meal sites and are bringing hundreds of thousands more to the 32 sites most frequented by our Muslim community. Go to this website to get more info. We're taking thousands of meals to 32 sites frequented by our Muslim community. Now, let me read you this. My message to the Jewish community and all communities is simple. The time for warnings has passed. I have instructed the New York Police Department to proceed immediately to summons or even arrest those who gather in large groups. This is about stopping the disease and saving lives, period. He said he's going to round up the Jews. Ich bin ein New Yorker. He's going to round up the Jews in New York City if they dare to congregate. Where, where, hmm. But it's okay because they're Jewish. The media is giving him a pass on this one because the Jews don't need to do that, you know. It's okay for Muslims to congregate to get halal meals at at food facilities, but the Jews, you better not be congregating, Jewish people. He's going to round you up and arrest you and put you in a jail with other people who may get the virus. This is is nuts. Uh, The mayor of New York has been an absolute disgrace and has been uh, hurling invective towards the president during this virus to distract from the fact Uh, that he is uh, screwing this up on a daily basis in New York City and put way more lives at dangerous, uh, way more lives at danger. Uh, Listen to him. What is so frustrating to me is after all those messages were so clear that so many people would still choose to gather. I understand that they lost someone very dear and important to them, but this is still a pandemic. People's lives are put in danger when people gather. So what's shocking to me is that after all the warnings, something of this size would happen. And that's where I'm making very clear, unapologetically, that the next gathering will be met by summonses and arrests, period. No more warnings. And that's true in every community. Equal opportunity in New York City. If you gather, I'm not talking again about a few friends hang out in the corner. I'm saying if you have a large gathering, hundreds of people, thousands of people they were not even going to have a discussion it's just we're going immediately to summons and if we have to use arrest we'll use arrest all righty all righty bill de blasio we're, we're, we're going to arrest everyone equal opportunity except he keeps targeting jewish people in his tweets why is that now i got one more bit of audio i need to play play for you here you know how the media forever forever demanded that the president needed to have press briefings And then when the virus hit, 
the president started having daily press briefings and the media, no, we can't do this. This is just helping the president. His poll numbers are going up. We can't do this. We can't do this. And then the president was advised by his, his advisors that he might be overexposed and should cut back his press briefings. And so they did. The, and now the media that said they needed to stop covering the briefings, well, here's Don Lemon. Let me just uh, say something before I move on with what I have planned here. I've seen so many people out and about lately, not socially distancing, not wearing masks, not following the rules. This is not over. You may think it's over because if you if you actually pay attention to what's happening in Washington with this administration, not having the briefings, trying to pretending that this is over because they want to move on to other things. So not having those briefings, that's all part of the plan for you to think that this is over, that we have moved beyond this. People are still dying at alarming rates. Those quarantine orders that are given, they're still in, in, in place. There's still, still orders in most places. So don't get it twisted. Don't sit there and think that this is over because you've just, you've been in the house for a long time. That's not so. Wait a second. So is it now a bad thing or, or what? Um, I'm I'm really confused here because when the president was doing the daily briefings, Don Lemon was among those in the press saying we needed to not cover the daily briefings. We don't understand. He would say why CNN was even bothering to cover the briefings because the briefings were, were harmful. They were going to get people killed by listening to the president. And so now the president stopped the briefings and now it's like, we, we there they've stopped the briefings because they want you to think the world's going back to normal. Just like the New York Times story on the vaccine. They wanted a Manhattan Project for the vaccine. So the president and his team have started a Manhattan Project for the vaccine. And now that's a bad thing. Now it's a bad thing that the president is doing what they wanted him to do. Now it's a bad thing. I, there's no winning with these people. There is no winning. I, I have a hard time understanding what they expect to get out of this other than a Joe Biden presidency, which is why they're also giving a light touch on the Tara Reid situation. Uh, media Busters is noting that the, the media collectively – the big networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, they included Fox, that they have spent three times as much coverage covering Mike Pence going to the Mayo Clinic and not wearing a mask than they have Tara Reid. That should tell you everything you need to know about that situation. And then they have people on like Stacey Abrams, and they give her a pass when she keeps parroting Biden talking, because I wonder if Don Lemon will have Stacey Abrams back on and ask her about uh, why did she keep signing the New York Times now that we know this was a Biden talking point? Because if you weren't here a little while ago, the New York Times is pushing back on a BuzzFeed story. BuzzFeed is reporting it was the Biden camp that told his surrogates to keep referencing the New York Times full investigation. Stacey Abrams, in her conversation with Don Lemon, where he refused to, to push back on anything she said. She said multiple times, well, the New York Times thorough investigation. That was a Biden talking point, it turns out. Now the New York Times is saying it wasn't a thorough investigation. And when the New York Times itself is saying, wait a second, this wasn't a thorough investigation. We just did a basic report. 
that's pretty damning. Now, by the way, speaking of Abrams, uh, you should know that uh, some folks are uh, the Democratic Party have had enough of the campaign. Uh, this is William Lacey Clay, William Lacey Clay, prominent member of Congress, uh, not very happy with uh, Stacey Abrams' campaign to be vice president. You see what I'm saying? And if oh, you don't, I, 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 I do see it, Hank. I do see it, and here's what I do know. And, and, it's, and it's like all of the other presidential candidates, Democratic presidential primary candidates, and their supporters. Okay, we went through a process. Uh, Bernie Sanders has conceded. Um, and, and, and this applies to Stacey, too. You know, in, at the racetrack, uh, you cannot show up at the winner's window with loser's tickets. No. You haven't won anything. You can't show up at the winner's window with loser's tickets and demand anything, okay? I read that, I read that right away, man. Yeah, you can't show up at the winner's window with loser's tickets, so you don't have a demand. That's right. Let's be for real. That's not how politics works. And and I I tell you what what is somewhat offensive to me is when you are marketing, marketing yourself as a VP candidate. Um, Hey, that's entirely up to the nominee. Yeah, to yeah, determine so, who's yeah. going to be on his ticket with him. Yeah, and, yeah, and think... so for you to be out there marketing and putting on a uh, a PR campaign in that yeah. way, I think it's kind of inappropriate. Ouch! Ouch! That's a Democratic member of Congress who's daring to point out that when you lost and you're putting on a campaign to be vice president, it's it's inappropriate. That that's. Notice you're not hearing a lot of people in the mainstream press point this out. You, you know, again, this goes back to the the really crummy, and I'm trying not to say a bad word. Uh, the, the, the Atlantic ran that story on Brian Kemp, and it premises the entire story on a bar owner struggle to reopen when, in fact, bars are not allowed to reopen in Georgia. And essentially says that the, the headline is something like Georgia is about to experiment in human sacrifice. See how many people must die to keep the economy going. Never mind that all these other states are opening and they're fixated on Georgia. And the reason they're fixated on Georgia is because Brian Kemp beat Stacey Abrams. There is a level of white guilt in the media among the left set that they focused on Beto O'Rourke in 2018 and they ignored Stacey Abrams. And now they got to make it up to her by hating on Brian Kemp. And, and anything Brian Kemp does is bad. And the national media will never consider fairly the things Brian Kemp is doing because they feel guilty about ignoring Stacey Abrams in 2018. And now she's the media darling and they got to make up for it. So keep that in mind when you hear, read all these stories in the press about what a bad guy Brian Kemp is. It, it's all left-wing reporters who love Stacey Abrams and feel guilty they gave Beto O'Rourke more attention than her in 2018. I just got a, a very kind email from uh, Brant Frost at First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan. They're, they're advertisers on the program, and, and I'm, I want to. I'll do this as an ad for them, but just want to talk about it in general. Uh, they really are good people. Uh, I have a long time friendship with them, and they were the first people uh, after Chris Burns and Dynamic Money to step up at, to support this program. And they 
they're helping people get into the PPP program. There are a number of companies out there that have gone through them and others, and, and they haven't been able to get in. They're already out of money again. The SBA is. And it, it's insane. They're still trying to help some people get in with some residual money. Um, but I, I want to just reiterate to you that they don't just do PPP. If you're a small business and you need help and, and they, Mr. Frost emailed and said that, uh, he appreciates it, that they're hearing from small businesses that need some help getting capital and not necessarily PPP. And I want to point out, they do that as well. They're such good people, uh, just hardworking, honest, good Christian people. And they own, uh, First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. You can go there. You can apply for PPP on their website or, or anything you need. You can get information, but reach out to them. They've been doing this since 1993. They have a real passion to help small businesses. So First Liberty Building and Loan is the company. It is firstlibertyga.com is their website, and they're just good people. And they're helping a lot of small businesses get into PPP. And uh, they're helping a lot of businesses get access to other small business administration loans and and bank loans and things like that. Just just if you need help for your small business, medium-sized business, whatever, and you need access to capital to grow it or maintain it, reach out to them. They're good people. Tell them I sent you. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. Uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi is saying that we're not going to get another big PPP program. That it's going to be a more com- CARES Act 2, she says. CARES 2. It'll be like Sister Act 2 uh, with more whoopee. Uh, it, it'll, it, it's just that what, what, a, what a crazy, crazy thing to do to know that we need small businesses helped in this country and they're going to hold them hostage again for moral, more pork barrel projects. And, you know, we do have a problem and we do need to recognize this is a problem that we are spending as a nation a whole lot of money going into massive debt. And y'all, that is a real problem. It is terrifying to see how much we as a nation are undertaking in our debt load and it's going to drive up the interest that we have to pay. And you know, the, the United States Constitution requires full faith and credit. We can't get out of debt to China because full faith and credit clause of the Constitution. It is what allows us to have such a good bond rating, and our bond rating isn't as good as it once was. And this is going to put strain on everything. We need to fix the situation. And no one in Washington seems to have a solution that anyone is listening to. And honestly, I don't even know what the solution is. Right now, we kind of do have to do the spending as a government to keep small businesses afloat, that the government shut down uh, to keep the virus from spreading. These are uncharted territories. It's just amazing to me how many people don't want to rethink their solutions to see what might work and what might not work. Nope. Everybody's in the same corners they were to begin with. Just sad.